You're listening to the CTK O'Fallon Podcast. And uh, we'll, we'll, if you'll let me do this, amen, don't anybody run out. As soon as I'm finished tonight, we'll go on. We have some announcements and things we need to take care of later on tonight. But I want to get right to the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank God for the spirit of the Lord, presence of the Lord, the liberty that I feel in the house. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Amen. And I want to take you to Jeremiah chapter number 18. What a powerful passage of scripture here. And let's read from verse number one. And I'm going down, amen, to verse number 10. And, uh, but I want to put this in context. My text tonight is going to be from verse 7 through verse 10, but I want to put this in context. And the Bible says, The word of the Lord which came to, or the word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house. There I will cause thee to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again another vessel as seemed good to the potter to make it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, cannot I do with you as this potter, saith the Lord? Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are ye in my hand, O house of Israel. And then verse number seven says it this way. At what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck up and to pull down and destroy it, if that nation against whom I have pronounced turned from their evil, I will repent of the evil that I thought to do unto them. And at what instant I shall speak concerning a nation, and concerning a kingdom to build and to plan it, if it do evil in my sight, that it obey not my voice, then I will repent of the good wherewith I said I would benefit them. At what instant? I want to preach if I can for just a couple moments tonight on this thought, a quick work, a quick work. Let's lay our Bibles down and ask the Lord to have his way tonight in the next few minutes. God, I magnify your name tonight. Lord, we thank you for gracing us with your awesome presence. Thank you for every promise, every encouragement we've already felt. Let the word of God and let faith come to us tonight, to the hearer. And I pray that you would edify your people, God, build them up in this house tonight in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. God, we surrender everything to you right now. In Jesus' name, God, we proclaim it right now. Can you put your hands together one more time unto the Lord? Amen. God bless you. You can be seated tonight. Is this, is this mine? That's okay. At what instant? This was a powerful, powerful statement that was made by the prophet 
Jeremiah and what an incredible analogy is given to us before he gets to this point and this moment in Scripture. He tells us of the potter's house. And the Lord comes to him and tells him, I want you to go down to the potter's house and there I'm going to show you. I'm going to, I'm going to illustrate things for you that I'm trying to do. And so he goes down and you see there, he sees the potter who's working on the wheel, on the vessel. And if you've ever watched a potter work, it's pretty impressive. It's pretty amazing to see how they can take a raw lump of clay up there and they begin to form it and they begin to fashion it as they apply pressure and as they pull it and as they uh, tend it and men, uh, need it and, and, and work with this on this wheel, this thing, all of a sudden, it, it, it's pretty amazing how quick a potter can do a work. If you've ever watched a potter, it's not a long, drawn-out, tedious process. In fact, actually, the process, the length of the process takes to do with uh, or, or has more to do with putting it in the fire, letting it bake, and let it it's set up, but the actual work of the potter is pretty amazing when they're making just, especially an everyday vessel, leave it now. Sometimes if they're doing something artistic, they'll take a little bit longer, but a, a potter can uh, take a piece of clay, especially a, a master at the craft can take a piece of clay and he or she can begin to work with it. And in just a moment, it seems like as it's going around, it's just a lump. They're just... What are they really doing there? And then all of a sudden, out of nothing, they take it with both hands, and, and there they pull it right up, and there it is right there. And all of a sudden, it's there, and it's done pretty quick. And it's a powerful work. And God tells, he tells Jeremiah, he said, this is what I want to do with Israel. The potter there was working, and as he's working, it's marred, and something wasn't right. He didn't like it, and so... He takes it again, and he remakes that same thing. He pushes it back down. However, he goes through that process, and then he makes it again as it's spinning around on that wheel. And this is what God says to Jeremiah. I want to do this with you. I want to take your life, and I want to remake it. There's a powerful message there. He's speaking to his children. He's letting them know that I love you but I want to remake you. I want to remake you. I don't know what it is. I've been living for God for a while. Some of you in here have been living for God a lot longer than I have. But it seems like every time I come into the presence of the Lord and every time God takes me to a new level, he's not just adding things to my life and adding things to understanding, but there is also this constant pull or this constant call that God wants to remake us. He wants to remake me and uh, remake me. I, 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 love, I love the song that Brother Pettigo wrote, Make Me in Your Image. Wash me white as snow. I, I'm going to get all the lyrics wrong there, but make me in your image. God, make me for me and fashion me. God wants to do a work in us. He wants to improve you. <laughs> Tell that to the person sitting next to you. Tell them you're already pretty good, but God can improve you. Don't be offensive here now. Amen, amen. God don't make, 
God don't make no junk. God didn't make any mistakes, but God wants to improve you. He wants to take your life, and he wants to remake it, and he wants to work it over. This is what God wants to do. It's what the essence of a little bit what I was preaching about this morning when I, I preached. I, I know it was maybe a little bit different tone than what I would normally take on uh, necessarily a Sunday morning, but as clear as the Lord spoke to me yesterday, I had to say it. Can you still be preached to? Because when he tells Timothy, preach the word, he said, the word's word is going to be a work of reproving and it's going to be a work of rebuking and it's going to be a work of exhorting and edifying and building up. It's the word of God. It's the constant work that is coming on us. God is trying to remake us. Isaiah 64 and 8, he says, but now, O Lord, thou art our father. We are the clay and thou art the potter. and We all are the work of thy hand. I'm going to tell you, if you're wondering where to go in your prayer, that's a good place to start right there. You open up to that verse in Isaiah 64 and 8, and you just begin praying that verse and see how far it will take you. Thou, O Lord, art my father, and I am just the clay. You are the potter, God. I've come to remind myself that I'm not God, that I'm not the one that is forming in fashion. It's not my opinions. It's not my desires. I've come to remind myself that I am just the clay. But oh, you are the potter. And you know the end from the beginning. You know what I need to be. You know exactly what I need in me for me to make it and for me to survive. And Lord, I am the work of thy hand. That's what Isaiah said. God, I'm the work of thy hand. He was giving the Lord license to work on him. He was giving the Lord license to remake him. Can I tell you, that's the most powerful thing that you can do is say, Lord, I give you license to remake my life. And if you could understand how mighty God is, you would get excited when the Lord begins to work on you because he alone knows what I need and he alone can improve on my life. Hallelujah. Yes, that's right. God can make you better than you already are. For all those that think you're pretty good, you're pretty fine, you got it all figured out, God says, no, I can make you even better. Amen. For all those that can't help yourself, you're down on yourself all the time. Stop being down on yourself. You're just the clay, but he's the potter. Let God work things out in your life. And he tells them, this is my desire. I want to remake you. I want to rework you. I want to be able just to, amen, push everything down and in a moment bring it back up. And here's what he says. After that, he said, at what instant? I shall speak concerning a nation to pluck up, to pull down, and to destroy it. If that nation turned from their evil. I will repent of the evil that I thought to do unto them. At one instant, in just one moment, in just a matter of a few seconds, it can be a quick work. He's trying to say, I can do a quick work. 
In one morning, you may just be a, 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 a mass, a lump of clay, but in just one moment, I can shape you and I can remake you. Amen. I still believe, amen, that the power of the Holy Ghost can do a quick work in someone's life. Amen. It won't take 12 steps. It won't take 12 months. It won't take 12 years. At what instant, amen, somebody begins to call on the name of the Lord, God can raise you up in just a moment. At what instant, God is ready to do a quick work. It doesn't take him a long time. It doesn't take him a long time. Amen. The only reason why it would take him a long time as the master potter is if he's working with bad clay. Hello. How many can say he's still working on me? Lord, I don't know why it's taking you so long. You get what I'm saying. God says he's still working on us. We're, we're, we're not a finished product. He, he's still working through our life, but God can do a quick work. This is what God's trying to get across to them. I can do a quick work. He's trying to let them know the severity of their decisions. It's not just a haphazard decision. The very moment that you begin to repent, the very moment that you begin to turn to God, the very moment that you decide to walk away from evil, he said at what instant, even though it was slated for your destruction, even though judgment was standing before you, even though I was about ready to pluck you out, pull you down and destroy you at that moment God says I will halt everything and I will turn around and at that moment I will change you and I will shape you and I will make something of your life amen he goes on and he says now hear this if you are living for God and all of a sudden you decide to walk out in one day it could be a quick fall because in a moment I can change everything in a moment I can cut off the blessing of the Lord. In a moment, I can stop my protection. In a moment, you can lose the covering of God in your life. Can I tell you, we got to be careful. God says, I will do a quick work. And as quick as his mercy is, so also can be his judgment. We need to understand God does not take long. He does the work quick in his life. And we have got to give him liberty and license. Amen. Stop fighting against God. Stop resisting the Lord. Stop holding out on God. If God is speaking to you and God is asking things of you, amen, don't make God wait. Don't put God on hold. Don't switch over to the other line and, and consult somebody else. If God is calling you, be quick to say yes. Be quick to surrender because my God is a God that can do a quick work at what instant. Amen. Can I tell you, this is why you better be prayed up. And this is why you better be living a holy life. Because when God shows up to do a work, he won't delay. He won't take time. Amen. I'm thankful for his long suffering. But when God sets out to do something, he'll do it in a moment. He'll take a Joseph out of a prison cell 
that in a matter of a few steps, he will exalt him to ruler over all the land. He'll find a Daniel that nobody knows their name, but he's got a prayer life. And he'll move him to another nation where he can interpret a dream and God will raise him up. He'll take a shepherd boy that nobody remembers, amen, but while he's back there, he's been learning the word of God and he's been singing his praises and God will bring him out in one day, amen, the giant will fall. God can do a quick work at what moment, amen, I'm talking about a God that wants to do a quick work. I don't know about you, but this gives me hope when it's dark. This gives me hope when it looks bleak because I realize with God, all it takes is one moment. We're one service away from revival. We're one prayer meeting away from a breakthrough. You're one altar call away from a miracle. Amen. You're one offering away from a blessing. Amen. Because God can do a quick work. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Can I tell you, don't despair. You may feel like you're the only one in your life and your world living for God, but God can do a quick work. Hallelujah. That's why you can preach revival when the pews are empty. That's why you can shout for the glory when nobody else is in the sanctuary. Because when God does a work, he can do a quick work at one instant. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, I thank God. Hallelujah. 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 We go to the New Testament, one of the most powerful, astonishing things about the New Testament church were the converts, amen, of the Sadducees. The Sadducees, you see them in Acts chapter number 4. When Peter and John are brought before the Sanhedrin, it lets us know that the Sadducees were the ruling class of that day. If I did a little history lesson with you, the Sadducees were uh, descendants of the Maccabees. And when the Maccabees overthrew the Greek army in that eight days, the oil of the lamp never ran out. And 13 men withheld the entire Greek army. It was astonishing. And these men wanted a return to righteousness. It's the only time that Israel was an independent nation after captivity, after the Babylonian captivity was in the time of the Maccabees. And the Maccabees came in and they set themselves back up as the priests. They were the Levitical lineage. They were the priests. They were trying to return to righteousness. But when they returned, they set themselves as priests. But they, and they threw out all of the puppet priests, all of those men and women that were there that were just doing whatever they could for political reasons. They were Le Levites also, but they kicked them out. They drove them out. And it was a revival of righteousness. That's one reason why that's what Hanukkah is all about. When the, when the Jews celebrate Hanukkah, that's, that's the point that they're going back to, which is an important thing because they're going back to that movement of righteousness, that movement of holiness, and it's the last time, amen, that they were independent except for the modern era, but it was a revival of righteousness. And then they made the mistake. Not only did they set themselves up as priests, but they set themselves up as kings, and they were not of the divinity 
Davidic lineage. They, they were wrong, and now they become rulers, and, and, and some things happen. And uh, 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 the, the, the descendants uh, go down, and, and uh, they start becoming very political. And two Maccabean brothers were fighting over the, the throne of Israel, and one of the brothers said, well, I'm going to invite Rome to come down and help me fight the battle. And he invited Rome to come down. He did win the battle. But Rome never left, and Rome conquered them. And now, to get along politically, they became what we would call Hellenist. And that means that they were pagans. They, they, were, they were Greek by their culture. They were pagan by their culture. In their customs, they were Jewish. And politically, they were Jewish. But in their actual nature, they had left the Lord. They, they denied a lot of the oral law, and they denied a lot of the customs. They were, if we put it in modern terms, they were the uh, immoral and, or, or the, the moral liberalist of their day. They would have not represented that which was righteous. They would have not represented that which was holy. And it was the Pharisees that rose up. They were the self-righteous ones to contrast those that were not righteous. And the Sadducees <coughs> were the rulers of the priesthood. This is powerful, folks. They were, they were men and women that were ruling the Sanhedrin and the temple. They were the ruling political class of that day. But the Bible says that when they brought them, when the apostles began preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you look at it in Acts chapter 4, there they're standing, and, and the Bible says this argument came up and said, look, if these guys really are of God, if these guys really are of God, what can we do to them? Let's let them be. Because remember they told them, don't preach or teach in the name of Jesus Christ. And Paul responds, or Peter responds, and says, hey, I can only preach and teach of the things which I have seen and heard. And you've come too late to tell me that Jesus is not real. He was bold in his declaration. And he tells these bunch of Hellenistic liberal priests, anything goes, they can do whatever they want, and he tells them, I'm going to preach Jesus, he's the king, he's the priest, he's the one, and if you flip over to Acts chapter number six, the powerful thing tells us, in Acts chapter number six, and I, I got to find this verse here, the Bible tells us that of this group of pagan heathen Sadducees, these men that did not accept, amen, the oral law, they saw something in the early church, amen, that testified of the truth. And the Bible says in verse number 7 of chapter 6 of the book of Acts, can you get that on the screen? It says, and the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. What that means, the priests at that time were the Sadducees. They were the ones that if you would have walked into the temple, those were the ones that Jesus was calling out when he was overthrowing the money tables. and he, Those were the ones that he was calling out when he was driving them out with the whip. These were the ones that John the Baptist, get this, John the Baptist comes preaching against. 
What's the significance of that? Well, the significance of that is John the Baptist's dad was a priest, which meant he would have been a Sadducee. But John shows up preaching a revival of holiness, and he says, "Uh uh-uh, God's going to have him church. And I'm going to tell you, the most unlikely candidates of that day, in one moment, the Bible says, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. Here's a little history note. Today, in the, Old, in the New Testament, there were three groups of Jews. There were the Sadducees, there were the Pharisees, political groups, and there were the Essenes. The Essenes lived in the desert. They didn't marry and have a lot of kids, so naturally they died off. But guess what? The Sadducees disappear. And today, the only group that is still around are the Pharisees. The Sadducees do not exist. And here is what some people think. They think that when the revival hit the priest, based on Acts chapter 6, verse 7. Amen. That an entire group, an entire movement of people converted to Christianity and this was what took the Jewish community around the world by storm. When the temple priests laid down their robes and said, no, I found the lamb for sinners slain. I found the one who is the mediator of our faith. There was something powerful. Can I tell you, God can do a quick work. If he can do that with the priest, amen. How more can he do that with your family? Come on. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm one revival away, amen, from God turning the course of a nation. At one instant, he said, they began to repent. I will be there. Oh, somebody clap your hands unto the Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. God can do a quick work. Quick work. Can raise it up quick. Raise it up quick in our life. God doesn't need a long time. He can do it quick. I close with this. Go to the book of Ruth. And they can come back to the music. Go to the book of Ruth. Here's a beautiful passage of Scripture. Now, how many know the story of Ruth? It's a beautiful, beautiful story. Book of Ruth here, there's some people, a family of Bethlehem that that leaves leaves the promised land because there's a famine in the promised land. I'm going to tell you, there's, by the way, this isn't in my notes, but I got to be careful when I start saying things that aren't in my notes. This morning, I got a little sidetracked in. I had to give my wife an apology at dinner today. That wasn't in my notes. I still can't believe I I said that. Y'all pray for me. But there was a famine in the land. I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of people that, there's a lot of people that backslide during times of spiritual famine. Can I say that again? There's a lot of people that backslide. It doesn't justify their backsliding. But there are a lot of people that backslide in times of spiritual famine. And Elimelech and his family, they walk away. And they go away. And then look at verse 6, Ruth chapter 1 and verse 6. And this is speaking of Naomi after her husband has died and after her two sons have died. And she arose, then then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. 
Wherefore she went forth out of the place where she was. Now look at this, and her two daughters-in-law with her. And then look at this phrase. It says, and they went, that's plural, on the way to return unto the land of Judah. Now the significance of that is this. And I'll explain that. You can just leave that verse up there. It says, and they went on the way to return unto the land of Judah. There were three of them now in the story that are going. And when the translators translated this to get the essence, to capture the essence, they put this in there. And note what it does not say. It does not say, and they went on the way to go unto the land of Judah. It specifically uses the word return. Return. There's a coming back. There's a coming back. But the only one of them that was returning that had ever been there was Naomi. Ruth had never been there. Orpah had never been there, so to speak. They had never been there. But yet the Bible says of them three, it says that they are returning unto the land of Judah. And there is, there is a significance there. He goes on. Verse 22, so Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law with her, which returned. Now it's, now Orpah's said, I'm going to stay. And now it's just Ruth and, and, and Naomi. And it says, with her, which returned out of the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of the barley harvest. The significance of this of, of what that is saying here is bigger. I, I hadn't seen it, but show, somebody showed that to me a couple weeks ago. The story of Ruth is about a kinsman redeemer. Ruth comes back. She's a Moabite. She comes back with Naomi, and she goes. She says this great proclamation, your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. I'm not going back. And Naomi says, I have nothing to offer you. And in the economy of that day, marriage and family was everything. When that broke down, you were destitute. Naomi says, I have no more family. I have nothing to offer you. I have no more sons. The, the natural order would have been the, the eldest son was responsible to take care. And Ruth says, it doesn't matter. I'm going with you. So they go back. Ruth comes back, and you know the story of how they're out there gleaning in the field, and Boaz is there, and, and she, she is looking for some food, and Naomi sends her and says, go glean in Boaz's field, and Boaz, is, he catches his, Ruth catches his eye and plays this whole thing out to where Boaz was not the next of kin, but as the next of kin, whoever the next of kin was would have been responsible for Naomi and Ruth. And Boaz goes and he pays the price to become the one who is responsible for them. He actually purchased the opportunity to take care of them. And he becomes the kinsman redeemer. He redeems Naomi. And we always focus on that how he redeems Naomi and he purchases her, but he didn't just redeem Naomi. There was something so much bigger that's going on here. And you see it when you go back to Ruth chapter one and verse, is it verse six we said where they're returning? Go back to that verse again. And they return, I think it's verse six, right? That we just read. And they return. Seven, sorry, go to seven, sorry. And they went on the way to return unto the land of Moab. Here's the reality. Moab, unto the land of Judah, says they come from Moab. Moab, where did the Moabites come from? Well, the Moabites come from a man by the name of Moab. 
Where does Moab come from? Moab comes from a horrific situation. It's not good. It's, it's, it's about as low as you can get in Scripture. The scene that plays out is about as horrible as it can get in Scripture. Lot takes his family, and Lot goes to Sodom and Gomorrah, and he decides that he's going to live there. And the Lord tells Abraham, I'm going to destroy the city. And Abraham says, God, would you spare it for 50 righteous? The Lord says, yes. What about 40? Abraham didn't have a lot of faith in Lot. What about 30? What about 20? What about 10? Lord, would you spare it for five? God, would you spare it for one? You can see the heart of Abraham as he's crying out. Abraham is praying for his own family. Lot, Lot had seen the glory of God. He had seen the powerful things. He had been a part of the revelation that Abraham experienced. Lot had been there. When Abraham goes and, and has this encounter with Melchizedek, Lot had first-hand front-row seat to the mighty power of God, and yet Lot chose to live in Sodom and Gomorrah. The angel of the Lord comes down, and they rescue Lot and his family they, they, through a horrible scene again. Pull them out. As they're going out, the one command was this, don't look back. And yet Lot's wife was so tied to the sensual passions and desires of that city that she could not be obedient to the Lord, even though she knew it meant her life. The Bible says she becomes a pillar of salt. And now God has saved them. God brought them out to save them. You would think, you would think that the place that they would run to was back to Abraham, back to an altar, but they didn't. In their anger and their rage, those daughters were so mad, they go up and they get their own father drunk in the mountains. There they have children by their father, and there's two sons that are born, and the son of one is named Moab. Moab goes down. He becomes an enemy of the children of God because there's bitterness. Moab becomes an idolatrous nation. They serve Baal. They sacrifice their children. It's ungodly the things that they do. But Moab was out of the same family. He had the same blood that Abraham had running through his veins the same one that God had called, the same one that God had honored to come, and the same one Lot had seen the glory of God. And When Ruth comes back, she was coming back. She was returning to the land of Judah, even though she had never been there. She had never stepped foot on the sacred land of Judah. When Abraham marched through it, it was promised land, but it wasn't conquered land. When Isaac and Jacob walked through it, it was promised land. They purchased part of it. Abraham purchased part of it to bury his wife Sarah in. He was the rightful deed owner. But it wasn't yet conquered land. But when God brought them back, the Bible says about Ruth, she returned to the land of Judah. Ruth was over 10 generations at least removed from anyone that had seen the glory of God. Maybe 15 generations, we don't know. She, it had been that long in her bloodline. And for 10, 15 generations, they were idolatrous. They were worshiping idols. They were rebelling against God. But God never stopped reaching. And the word of God is true. He can do a quick work. At what instant you decide 
And Ruth, the daughter of a Moabite, says, I will be your daughter. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. It was a confession. And all of a sudden, the heavens opened up. And the word of God that had gone out, that had declared no Moabite shall ever set foot in my sanctuary. God said, if they'll just repent, I'll take the word back. If they'll just repent, I'll open up the door. And not only did God welcome Ruth back into the land of Israel, but God said, I'm going to bring her right back up next to where her lineage was. I'm going to bring her right back up next to the promised seed. Hallelujah. Amen. They may have been gone for 10, 15 generations, but God grafted Ruth back into the messianic seed. And when Matthew is given the lineage of Jesus, he says, and both has begot uh, Obed of Ruth. Ruth's name made it in there. Wait a minute. I, it should have taken several generations. No. At what instant? In one moment, God turned it around. God can do a quick word. That's why we open up these doors to whosoever wants to come in because it doesn't matter how deep the sin and dark the dungeon and deep the pit, God in one moment can change someone's life. Can you stand together with me? Do you know how many witch doctors in Africa and Asia have come into Pentecostal churches and encountered the gospel of Jesus Christ and God has saved them and God has changed them and made them preachers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If God can do that, what can he do with you and me when we just say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. God wants to do a quick work. God wants to do a quick work. Children, hear me. Youth, hear me. God can do a quick work in your life. That's why you got to be prayed up. That's why you got to be living holy. You got to be living right. Be ready when God calls you because God can do it in a moment. He can walk you out of a prison right up next to Pharaoh's seat. He can walk you, amen, out of a lion's den and take you right up there. God can do a quick work. We've got to be ready. Come on, is that your heart today? God, do work in me. Hallelujah. I'm wondering who's willing, who's ready to give God the keys to their life, who's ready to say, God, I give you liberty. God, I'm just the clay. You're the potter. Thou art the potter, and we are all the work of thy hand. Come on, would you join me at an altar tonight? God's wanting to do a quick work. Come on, some of you God's been speaking to. Come on, some of you.